You are listening to Tales from the Trenches by Nicola Graham, a podcast focusing on all things business change related. Time to hand over to you, Nick. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome. This is Tales from the Trenches of Change Management, and you are listening to Nicola Graham. And I'm joined here today by the lovely Suzanne Madsen. Suzanne, hi. Hello, Nicola. Hello, Suzanne, and thank you very much for being on today's show. Oh, you're welcome, yeah. uh, For our listeners who may not know our guest speaker, Suzanne is a coach and mentor for project managers uh, into project leaders. So she is the award-winning author of The Power of Project Leadership, which I now now believe Suzanne is on its second edition, so congratulations for that one, and also the Project Management Coaching Workbook. So Suzanne, you're also known for delivering leadership development programs globally, and you've worked with many high-profile companies such as JP Morgan. Yes, that's right. Excellent, excellent. So we're really looking forward to you being on our show today so we can talk more about your book and also listen to some of your expert advice that you have for us. So before we go into more detail, um, a little bit of a myth-busting um, uh, scenario here, Suzanne. I believe that you're often getting your accent mistaken for a South Af- African accent. Is that right? Yeah, and it will be interesting for people who listen in right now to think, oh, my God, if she's not South African, what is she? But, you know, it's so funny because I work for Standard Bank, which is a South African investment bank for five years. And even there, they thought I was South African. I'm like, come on, I've never been to your country. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, I'm not. I'm, I'm actually Danish. So, yeah. So you're actually Danish. And how long have you been in the UK for? 22 years. I don't know, but the time just flew by. Gosh, 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 gosh. Um, I, and do you like going home? I do. I mean, it was pretty hard during the pandemic because um, I wasn't able to travel. My grandmother turned 100 last year, and she's in good health. I mean, for her age, she's in good health. And I wasn't able to be there. It was very sad. So um, I did go back for an extended period last summer, and I will again this summer. But it's, it's tough when we're not able to travel. Yes, yeah, and I think things like the pandemic highlight that and the importance of being able to travel, especially if you are living abroad or well, living, I mean, it's pretty much your, your, your home country now, but you know, living away from your family, it really does make a difference. But congratulations to the grandma turning 100. Yeah, amazing. so um, I'm going back in a few weeks because she's turning 101. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So this oh, year, hopefully, I, I will be able to be there, yeah. That's awesome. Well, at least you've got the good genes and you can, you know, be, be encouraged. This might also be your scenario when, you, when you're approaching 100. Yeah, no, she's, she's a role model, actually. She lived um, on her own up until two years ago when she fell and broke her hip and she's now in a care home. Up until then, she was doing her own shopping and doing her own cooking. I mean, not easily, but she was in a big house. So it was very, very inspiring. Sounds to me like she's kept herself active. So yeah, that's yeah. great. Great. Okay, so um, obviously with uh, my introduction to you is that you were on your second edition of your award-winning book of The Power of Project Leadership. I have had a little poke around your book, um, obviously before we met, and for our listeners today, I actually would like to read a bit of your book, if that's okay, as a starting quote, because I'm really... Uh, I was really inspired by what you'd written, and I'm quite keen to, to have this as part of the conversation today. So, excuse me, I, I, I'm obviously not an, um, an audible author here, but let's go for it. So you say in your book, 
The differentiating factor between the two disciplines isn't the level of cognitive ability or technical skills that someone has. It is, to a large extent, their level of emotional intelligence, EQ. Managers may have a high level of, of cognitive intelligence or IQ, but not necessarily EQ. They may be good at implementing effective management systems, but they aren't necessarily good at communicating change or bringing people with them. Leaders are skilled at understanding, motivating and influencing people. They keep their emotions in check and set a great example for others to follow. So I'm going to stop that there um, as part of the quote. But obviously I could go on because that particular part of your book was um, it, it really resonated with me around the EQs and IQs. But over to you, Sam, will you tell us more about that? What, yeah. What does it mean? So obviously I have a background as a, not obviously, but I do have a background as a project manager. And um, I think I've been, let's say, guilty as charged of being that that very rational project manager, getting things done and sometimes perhaps even pushing people a little bit. You know, after all, I did work in investment banking and it was technology. So it was quite a hard, <laughs> a hard science at times. And um, and I thought I was doing a great job and I, and I was um, in many ways. But then I... Um, I actually came across coaching and leadership and I realized, oh, my God, there's a whole other thing. There's a whole other way of relating to people. So I draw a lot of this also from my own experiences and from the people I, I coach today. I see so many, especially technical project managers, they're very firmly in that management camp where they, they're they good at estimating effort and calculating duration. Or hopefully they're good at it, you know, risk management and they're good at getting things done and, and sometimes too good at telling others what to do. But they're missing out that bigger piece of, uh, as, as you, you read there from the book, the, the emotional intelligence piece where we're able to relate to others because we both know that it's not, it's not tasks and tools that deliver a project, it's people. And yeah. I have come across many teams that probably weren't even a team. There were a bunch of individuals doing their, each of their stuff, their tasks, but they didn't really come together. They weren't really united around a common goal and they, they didn't really go below the surface of what can make me more motivated or why, why should I care about this project or that stuff which binds the team together and which is much more about the personal aspect. And that's what leaders are really good at. They're good at uniting a team and, and finding out what is it that also motivates each, each, each person. What does each person, each team member want to get from the project? What, yeah. Or we think, what do you mean get from it? They get a salary, so surely they should just deliver the project. But if we we're able to tap into each person in a very different way, we will get a very different outcome. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's music to my ears. Obviously, you're talking about the people element here, and I'm always going on about people because they, they, they do make the difference between a successful project compared to, to a non, non, non-successful. And we often, we often talk in change management, 70% of projects will fail without people being taken on that journey. And it's, and, and, and it is interesting because equally, I've come from an IT background my entire life, and I have, I feel like I have a, a, an amazing skill set to be able to really resonate with the, the, the typical or stereotypical characteristics that you get in an IT area, which it tends to be very high IQ. But I come in with this EQ, obviously not much high IQ. Um, I come in with this EQ element and I'm able to really start to empathize and, and, and feel the people. So in your book, you talk about um, the differences between a project manager versus a project leader. And, and I felt that this really resonates with me because actually that's the difference between a project manager for me, a project manager and a change manager. So what what is the difference between them? 
Sorry, between a project manager and a and project manager and a project leader. Yeah. What, where, where, if you can give our listeners an idea of how your book focuses on that, that would be great. Mm. So I think many people, when they look at this, they get they, they get a bit confused because we're not talking here about the, the role. So we're not talking about there's a different role for a project manager and there's a different role for a project leader. It, it's that that's not what, what I mean. What I mean is it's in my in how I come across. So the. Um, the, the, um, the project manager um, is much more rational and much more about um, telling people what to do. It's more transactional. I give you a task and you do it for me. And the, the project leaders are more transformational, so they're much better at relating to people at a personal level. Okay. And so obviously that does then fall back into the EQ side of this. But so do you think that if somebody listening is a project manager and they think, yeah, I can really resonate with with focusing quite quite efficiently and around intellect and, and very organized and structured, but I would like to empathize more people. Do you think people can transition their characters well, in that? The, the, fortunately, you know, or, uh, okay, let's start with unfortunately, if uh, our level of IQ probably can't be changed that much. You know, if we're born dumb, we probably, sorry, but uh, if we don't, if we aren't born with a mathematical brain, for instance, we probably, we can do a little bit, but not, not a great deal. IQ is very different. It is a flexible skill set that we can learn throughout our, our, our years, uh, throughout our lives. And we do, you know, we, we see older people who are more mature, who, who, who are wiser, thankfully. Not, it's not automatic. You know, we need to work at it. We need to be conscious at it. But it is very, very um, possible. And um, so, yes, I think that's the whole idea. And that's the whole idea between, uh, behind the work that I do is to raise people's level of awareness and, and level of IQ. Okay, and how, and how do you go uh, about EQ. That? I said IQ there. I meant EQ, emotional yeah. intelligence. <laughs> Sorry, I should have picked up on that one. Um, and, and how do you go about that? How can so, you that um, so I'm a qualified coach. So that's one way I work with it. Um, another way is that um, I have partnered with um, with some people in uh, the Netherlands, and we founded the Project Leadership Institute. And we actually run, um, I think, already for five six years now. We run leadership programs, and um, it, it, it's it's bigger for me to lift on my own. We're multiple um, facilitators in those programs, and what we so it, it's basically a leadership program consisting of three modules over a, over like four or five months. Um, but we run it purely for project managers because this, the the um, the context is a bit different. Whether you are a um, CEO or a project manager, there is a difference because we have this uh, leading without authority, basically, and it's it's great for them. They have a tribe and they understand each other, and and they're mostly in company run, so we get people from the same organisation uh, on 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 them. So that's one way of doing it, and um, I can explain a little bit more about what we actually do within the program. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. So, because there's a number of elements that that really speak to this uh, emotional intelligence part, and um, so we do personality profiles, we do um, uh, feedback. They get feedback from um, from you know 360 feedback before they join the program, and um, all of that point towards um, highlighting blind spots. So, what is it that I need to work on as a project manager? So. Because people will give you feedback. They may have never asked, but now it's black and white. You know, you need to develop your listening skills or you need to develop work on your patience or whatever it is. They're very personal attributes. And um, 
within each of the modules, we work with training actors. Um, not, ex- not, not all the time, but we have a session within each of the modules where we have uh, training actors join. And what happens is we go into, uh, at the moment it's online because of the, you know, that's the nature of it. Uh, we've run it before in, in person. So we, we're online, let's say with six people in a breakout room with a training actor. And the people in that, in that group get to practice uh, difficult behaviors or difficult situations. So let's imagine that the, um, the training actor takes on the role of a difficult stakeholder and the project manager gets to practice. Well, how could I say this differently? If you're just dismissing me, how do I, how do I respond to that in a conscious way so that I get my message across so that I'm being heard? Or the training actor could take on, on the role of a, um, a team member who's not getting stuff done who's not taking responsibility and the the project manager will, will will practice well how do i how do i conduct that conversation yeah. and they go they go um oh they get into a state first and they get very agitated and we like okay time out what's happening and we talk about it and then they do a then they try again they learn a lot from that Fantastic. So it really gives them that hands-on experience or exposure to dealing with that. And do you find that the that once people leave your leave, leave your leadership program, do you find that they've found that really useful and been able to give you examples of successes that they've taken in their own careers thereafter? Yeah, you know, it's crazy, really. It was, it was amazing, I should say, because even after the first module, we get feedback like um, some of them really wake up. Not, not, it doesn't happen for everybody. Everybody, I would say, um, def- everybody takes something away. But some people have a real kind of light bulb moment, which is like, oh, my God, because we also coach these people, you know. So we, we also spend a lot of time with them. Um, they get like between five and six coaching sessions throughout, throughout that, that time. And uh, not only that, the clients, so the managers of these project managers, we, we have a, a close contact with them. And uh, they, they, they keep using the word, it's moving the needle. For them, it's just, it's moving the needle. I don't know, but that's just what they like to say. And that's we just right. had an evaluation meeting last week because for this one client, we've now run three cohorts. And now they're wanting us to plan for the next one and a half years. They're, they're so, um, because they're seeing the benefits. So typically people who come off the program, they, they realize it's, it's probably the, um, they realize who they need to spend more time with. They understand how to, how to, um, deal with these conflict situations better. Many of them is about listening better. It's about asking questions instead of coming up with solutions because we also, um, have coaching uh, exercises with them where they, they learn. You know, if you want a team member to take accountability, you ask a question and you, you, you then stay quiet. You don't just speak, speak, speak. So they learn all of these techniques. And yes, we do see that it changes on their projects. Fantastic. That's great. And do they, do you mentioned that this is a, a course, a leadership program that people can go on. How long does it go on for? Sorry, I can't get my words out today. How long does this course run for, did you say? Is it five weeks? So it is um, three modules of three days each. So it's over a four or five months period because we have right. six so- weeks in between each module. So it's like, let's say six months, you know, it's half a year. Okay, so over a six-month period, are they doing that as part of uh, as part of their day roles as well, or are they given time off? Because I'm immediately thinking that's it sounds like a great course, but how do we how do people find the balance of that um, you know that that leadership program within their current roles? 
A very good question because some of them are unbelievably busy. And um, the good news is that we have the buy-in from the managers because the managers actually nominate them for the program. So they, uh, they're given the time off. But I know that, you know, after our training, they, they, of course, they log on and they try to do their day job uh, as much. As, some, some of them are good at delegating. Some of them are not so good. But what's amazing is they're all really focused on the program. There's no multitasking. We have cameras on and we go in a, into a lot of breakout rooms. You, you can't multitask from, on this program. Yeah, that, that's good. At least, at least you're switching them off. It's a sensitive topic, and I know that, that yourself uh, and me have spoken about this already, but it's that very sensitive topic at the moment, especially because it's online around burnout, you know, that white, mm. white work-life balance. I really can't get my words out today. Um you know, so it's kind of making sure that you are able to engage them in that way so that they aren't burning that out. Um, so relating to relating to burnout, work-life balance, do you believe that it does still exist, especially obviously since the pandemic and people are beginning to go back into the office? And if so, how do you deal with it personally? Yeah, oh gosh, yeah, still exists. I mean, I've been um, interested in, in, in this topic for a long time because I, I almost had burnout myself over 10 years ago. Um, and so I'm very aware of it now with the people I'm coaching. And it's actually part of, um, part of a standard question we have when we do our intake interviews for the, for, for this program. And also when I, when I coach uh, people privately, I also have a questionnaire. I always ask the question, what's your work life balance like? And it's very interesting because, um, one of the chaps I'm coaching at the moment, my first session with him, he said to me, Oh no, no, I, I ha- I'm not stressed at all. There's nothing stressing me out. And then I spoke to him just last week again. And he said to me, and it was a completely different story. And it's just funny because when we're not stressed, everything is fine. But then all of a sudden something happens. And it was already a problem before the pandemic. But I think the pandemic, there's a few reasons why it's got, it's become more challenging. So one thing, as you mentioned, it's online. People have difficulty switching off. They're at home. They sometimes feel they need to work more to prove that they are working. The, the time they used to commute, they're now spending working. And I don't know, it's just, it's just difficult for people to get away. They sit down in front of the screen all the time. It's, it's, um, it also actually does something to the brain because, um, I don't know if you're aware, but the way that we use our eyes is very important. When you focus your eyes on the screen or on, on any other object all the time, it actually is like hunting. It's like telling your brain to focus, focus, focus. It f- narrows in on something. Whereas yeah. if you walk around the office and you look at, you look, you, you, you your gaze goes further afield or even looking at the window and looking at something far away, it, it actually calms us down. So yeah. there's a lot, there's a lot of I've, happening when we're just sitting there in front of a screen. Yes, I've heard very similar about the uh, Zoom fatigue and the fact that <clears throat> when you're in a meeting with, say, nine different people and you're seeing nine different faces, and for listeners, this is not an excuse to turn your camera off. <laughs> we need to see your face still. But um, when you're looking at nine different faces on a screen your brain like you said is focused on all of the different um all the tiny tiny changes in everyone's face so usually when you have a conversation with one person it's face to face and your your brain is picking up all of those nuances and those tiny little movements that they make whereas actually when you're on a on a zoom call you're looking at or a facebook um a teams teams call, you're looking at nine different faces sometimes 12 your brain is processing all of those different reactions and responses so it's I have heard very similar, and I don't think you quite realise, do you? Um, and in, in adding on to that, I've also heard that when people are on a, on a call like that, that they are that because their image is shown all the time. And we, as you said, we, we like people's uh, videos to be on, but I'm also people are very self-conscious. Mm. 
you know, it's almost like we are on display. So, but I mean, just work, um, workload wise, there's a lot going on as well because during the pandemic, so many organizations got very challenged. So some, some organizations, uh, put people on furlough. So those who were left had more work to do. Other organizations just got more, got more busy because everything just shifted. So the organization, um, one of the organizations we're running this program for at the moment is microchip company. And obviously there's a, there's a global shortage of microchips at the moment. So these people, these engineers, they already worked their bottoms off previously before the pandemic. Now is even worse. You know, it's just so, um, yeah, I mean, um, it's, it, it's, it's really, really bad situation so and who's paying the price is the employees because um and this is what i help them coach them on is how to say no how to set boundaries okay so you are actually obviously coaching them through that and and being able to create those boundaries and helping them with that specific burnout yes and i think what's interesting because i also i also uh, i speak also um and i sometimes speak about um, stress management and I think it's interesting because who, who, who is to, let's say, blame? Who, whose fault is it? And who needs to take action? And I think there's, there's really more than one perspective here because the organization does have some responsibility and the individual does have some responsibility. So I can only coach the individual. And what I say is you are the only one who can decide what is right for you and what is wrong for you. You're the only one who can, de- who can decide when is when is too much when when do you reach the the level of it's too much and and you need to say no or you need to do something you know learn to yeah. delegate or ask for other peop more people or whatever it is you need to do each individual is the only one who can feel and 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 make those decisions but the organization also has a huge responsibility because if i plan for 10 projects with 10 impossible deadlines and i just push it down into the organization and say get it done well, somebody's going to break, and it happens. Yes. So if you were, um, so that that sounds like a really good good opportunity for me to uh, put you on the spot now and say, or ask you, if you were to give us, if you were to give employees and employers three tips that they could do or changes that they could make to help encourage less burnout, what would they be for an employer? What would they be for an employee? What so should I, I think, look for? Yeah. So I think for an for the employer, it's, it's, it's really about, I think we need more collaboration between teams and, and upper management because what I hear often is that the team comes up with a deadline. They, they, they create a plan and then it's not accepted. So that the, the, the management will say, okay, fine, but I need it six weeks earlier than that. And then the team is really stressed out and they actually end up not delivering it. And, you know, it's, it just gets very messy and they're already late by the time they start. So I would say uh, a tip for the, for the organization, for the managers, senior managers is to, um, is to, um, um, to listen to their teams and to plan in collaboration. Yeah. And it sounds to me like they should set realistic goals and timelines as well. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. They, they need to set uh, um, realistic timelines and listen to each other and plan collaboratively because otherwise you're ending up with management not listening to to the team and what's going on. And, and then uh, HR obviously has a role to play because they need to – and I think they are actually really on, on the case here and looking out for what is going on, how are people really feeling and, and, and caring about that. Um, 
it's perhaps a bit more challenging with people sit at home. So I, I know you're interested in change management and all of that, changing hearts and minds, because this is also about culture. This is about do people dare to speak up when they are um, when something is not going right for them, when when they are beginning to to get too stressed. So um, a tip for the organization, just to finish that one off, is. I think the best way to change culture is to get the senior leaders to lead the way. So if senior leaders work reasonably hours, if senior leaders dare to show vulnerability and say enough is enough, then you'll get that culture, you'll see that replicated further down in the organization. But I have been in so many situations where I see the top CEO say, oh, I don't believe in work life. I work all the time and, and I expect my people to answer my emails all the time. Honestly, I think that's irresp- irresponsible because that is a, that, that leads to burnout. So that's tips for the organization. For the individual, um, it's about awareness, self-awareness. Notice what is going on for you. Take time out at the end of each day just to sit with yourself and to breathe really slowly and really deeply and just check in what is going on for me. Where, where am I with things? Because if we can't feel ourselves, we, we, we can't say no either. And then set boundaries. So um, what what is okay for me and what is not okay for me? We all need to be flexible. Listen, we, we live in a very dynamic time, and, of course, we need to be flexible, uh, but within within reason. So what is it that – what are the boundaries I need to set? And by boundaries, I mean – do I need to log off at 6 p.m. every day? Do I need to log off at 7 p.m.? Is it one one night a week I can work late? What what does it look like for you? What about lunch breaks? What is your what do you need in order to function? Because if I run out of energy, then I have nothing to give. It it's a it's a lose lose situation. So that's that's they're they're the main points. Feel what is going on for you and set your own boundaries. And I think they're brilliant points to make. And I think uh, what you were saying also about your leadership, um, your le- leadership programs where you help coach your project managers into ha- being more aware and, and, and reasoning with different people's feelings. I think part of that probably comes into this as well. Because you've mentioned your, your example of an organization leading by example and the MD working all their hours. But it's also about that self-awareness as an individual, I feel, where you kind of go, OK, if the big boss wants to work stupid hours, that's probably why they're big boss. But I don't need to work those hours. So, you know, it's it's not necessarily it's understanding why what motivates other people, but realizing that you're also different in that moment and you can you can set set those boundaries but also empathize with them empathize with our situation but not necessarily use that as the example that you need to lead by you know the problem is that a lot of people lack self-confidence and a lot of people are looking for validation and uh, many more people than than you think normally i i i think almost close to 100 percent of the people i i coach you know we we all we all looking for acceptance we all looking for that kind of love and connection and I, I know love is a big word to use in in a work context but we are looking to be accepted and we are we are, we, we don't like to be outcast or to be for people to think that we're not capable or um so it's very hard for people to set to say no and to set those boundaries because we're looking for that approval it goes right back to childhood children are looking for approval from the par- from the parents as adults we're looking for it from our co-workers and, and bosses we're not aware of it a lot of this is unconscious but that's why it's so difficult for people to say to say no 
Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. That's fair enough. I do have a question for you, actually, Suzanne, if you wouldn't mind answering. I always ask this to anyone that I bump into that is in the in the coaching industry, because it's often something that uh, it's a good, good good topic to talk about, but it's always curious to see what people think. Is there a difference between mentoring and coaching? And if so, what is that difference in your opinion? So it's a good question because uh, often people think that they're synonymous and um, people say that they're coaching, whereas, in fact, they are mentoring. So the way I would say the differences are that a mentor. Okay, let's give an example. Um, Let's imagine we have a uh, senior project manager in an organization and they're being assigned a mentee, somebody who is more junior and um, they're helping them along. They're taking them under their wing. They're giving them good advice. They're connecting them with important information, important people in the organization, etc. That's an example of a mentor, somebody who gives advice and who, um, you know, make use of my own experience to, to help somebody else. A coach is, is very different because a coach isn't a subject matter expert. I'm not, I'm not going to tell people what to do. I'm not giving advice. What a coach does is more about people's behaviors. I'm, I'm more reflecting on their behaviors and I'm holding a mirror up to people um, so that they can see and f- what what they are doing, what they're, what they're thinking and feeling, uh, of course, they should know it because it's them. But holding that mirror up and, and reflecting back to them what they're really saying is very powerful. So a coach is more somebody who helps the person to, to think differently, to behave differently based on um, based on what they want. So, um, yeah, empowering others without telling them what to do. Maybe that was a bit long winded there, but. Uh, no, I think I think that was a, a brilliant response to it, actually, um, because it often is. It's also that um, kind of a coach versus a trainer. It's also that very different. And like I said, it's more of a supporting role in a coaching um, in, in a coaching way that really helps people people get to that role. You know, the problem okay. is, and, and, and project managers have this as well, we, we love to give advice and we love to tell others what to do, whether I'm a professional coach or whether I'm, I'm, a, I'm a manager or a, or a leader, you know, whether I'm, I'm on the project. Most people love to give advice and to tell others what to do because it makes us feel needed and wanted and the rest of it. But oftentimes it doesn't help somebody else. It may help them if it's a quick answer, but it's much more powerful to coach somebody to find their own answers. That's yeah, that's absolutely. just the truth of it, yeah. It comes down to that learning, learning as well. You know, people people learn better once they've gone through the experience. It's, it may take a bit longer, but it's a much more sustainable and satisfying way. Fantastic, brilliant. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us today. But before we do let you go today, Suzanne, you've we've we've spoken about your book, which obviously people can pick up um, from all of the all of the well known. Um, websites um that, that sell books let's not name any um but uh and obviously you you're talking about your leadership program so i'm assuming that people will be able to connect with you after today's po- podcast uh, we'll put all of your details in in the bio anyway but um do you have any other resources that people can use um to help if they are looking to learn more about coaching or learn more about how they can become more of a leader mm. uh, within their project management roles yeah, I, I, um, I have a lot of resources on my, on my personal website, suzannematson.com or, and, or .co.uk, same thing. Um, so basically there are, there are templates on there. That's more like in the project management sense, just free templates to download. I also have, um, 
more leadership resources on there. Then I have a, a ton of videos and um, I have a lot of short videos both on YouTube but also on my website actually. Just just short things, um, three, four, five minutes. And um, yeah, the book you mentioned. I'm, I'm thinking there are more resources. I can't wrap my head around it right now. But um, yeah, there's certainly things there for people. I also have webinars I've recorded that, that are on, on YouTube. But I think the book is actually one of the best best resources. It's I won an award for it last year from the PMI, which was a huge honor. So um, it's doing it's doing quite well. It's quite popular. So that's um, that's a good one for people to pick up. That is that's really good. And I'm going to uh, I'm going to pick your brains on another on at another time because I'm just in the process of launching a book and it's I, I admire anybody. Now I've go, gone through the process or almost gone through the process myself I admire anybody who's written books because they are not they're not an easy challenge and it's I think it's the uh the amount of times you rewrite it and the um the self-reflection or you know on kind of uh, and the confidence it takes to release a book so I, I want to wish my uh congratulations on being so yeah. successful Thank you. It's a, you're so right. It's a huge effort. And even when I wrote the second edition of this book, I thought, oh, second edition is easy. They just send me the script from before and I just edit it. No, 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 no. It was pretty much going through the whole process again. So uh, it's, it's a, you're, you're right. It's a big effort. So maybe there won't be a second edition for me. No, good luck. I'll definitely support you. It's, um, yeah, I've gone through the process a few times now. Oh, I think it's fabulous. So congratulations to you. Well, thank you again for joining us. It's been a real pleasure to, to speak with you and really interesting um, to go through some of the some of the topics of today. Um, very passionate myself about them. So I do appreciate that. And for all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in today. Obviously, I will put all of the information uh, to reach out to Suzanne if you would like any uh, any conversations with her or obviously to get some more resources from her. We will put that in the bio. Um, but until the next time, listeners, we are glad that you've joined us today and we hope to hear from you or, or speak with you next time. All the best for now. Bye bye.